Hello, and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. I'm Brittany. And I'm Josh. And we are here tonight for the Engineering Manager versus Prod Manager Wednesday night main event. Let's hope it doesn't get too brutal. And no hitting below the belt, y'all. That's not cool. All right, so uh, we ought to have a lot of fun. We're going we're gonna to talk a lot about the differences in those positions, kind of define what they are, and, and talk about more of the um, the non-programmery parts of, of these things that go on. Uh, but before we do that, we can review. Creston, how was your week? Well, it's actually been two weeks since we had that break last week. That is true. I've been super yeah, I've been super busy doing a lot of consulting stuff. Uh, something notable is actually something related to my product in that it does online giving and online event registration. And I kind of purposefully segmented, oh, excellent, purposefully <laughs> segmented those and had very complicated ways to do giving to meet customers' needs and very complicated ways to do events to meet customers' needs. And now suddenly say, they said, hey, you know the super complex way you can have people choose where they want to give their gift to? We want that in the events now. Oh. So now I'm kind of having to like do a whole big refactor of oh, no. pulling things out of essentially gift-related classes into maybe like a super class that can be used by both or whatever. So that's kind of like, okay, I hear you. Let's, let's, Gee, let's thanks for your awesome <laughs> suggestion. Is this a nonprofit arts organization that's trying to do donations and event registrations at the same time? Uh, no, no, it's actually a university or a college. That's pr those are primarily who my clientele are. So they have a lot of events, and a lot of times they just have a giving part on the floor. And we have a very simplistic way to ask for a gift when someone's registering for for an event. Um, but they basically want the really sophisticated interface where they can choose wherever they want to give their gift. So I'm like, okay, that's uh, that's going to take some work and touch a lot of places. This is the part so that I admit to you that I've built the code where we force the gift into the cart with the event registration. Did I feel good sleeping at night about that? Not really. Was <laughs> it effective? Absolutely. So <laughs> yep. you'll find a way, Preston. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I mean, it's it's already working a lot, but you know, it's it's just it's like, oh, I kind of avoided it for a while. I'm like, all right, yeah, I got to go ahead and do it. So so what what about you, Chris? What's been up with you? Uh, I actually got to, instead of being a software engineer the past couple of weeks, I've been playing diplomacy engineer with one of our bigger clients. Uh, so it was, there was all kinds of project management issues going on. Um on their side of the track and we were having problems with contract stuff. And, and so I, oh, I ended up having to step that, into that, that word contract. I know kind of, kind of makes you die a little inside. Um, but I had to step into the diplomacy role this week, which is to be fair for most software engineers, not really at the top of their skill tree, but you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. What else are you going to do? We froze, I think Brittany has frozen, uh -oh. unfortunately. Uh-oh. Brittany, we'll get you back. There she oh, is. There she is. Oh, and there she went. Temporarily. And there she is. Okay, there she is. She's back. All right. Sorry about that. Oh, it's not a problem. All right. So keep going around the horn. Josh, how was your week, man? Uh, Yes. Yeah, good week i mean if we're thinking like wednesday to wednesday is busy just because last week was a short week um but we're getting to the end of q3 here q4 coming up so just finalizing the roadmap um figuring out little details there before we kick off q4 cool and Brittany. Oh, it's been a busy week. Uh, I'll tell you what's going on. So I mentioned in the pre-show, I haven't been writing a lot of code lately. I currently have 13 reports at TextUs, and so I haven't been in the code. But for some reason, authentication is my wheelhouse. And so I need to make an adjustment to our SSO process for a customer. And so I've been writing some code, and it kind of felt good to you know dust off the rust, 
you know, make sure I still got it. I hear that. Um, so that's been going on. And then Josh's update about finalizing Q4 affects me because now I'm doing the fun puzzle piece of now I know what Q4 looks like. How do I juggle these engineers to make it work? And it, it really matters to me that the engineers work on things that they care about. So I'm also reaching out to the engineers saying like, hey, this is what's on the docket. What do you think would be fun for you to work on? Because it's important to me that they're excited about the work that they're doing. Yeah. And my one engineer, he ends up with every time zone issue ever. <laughs> and so I messaged him. I was like, hey, I have two projects for you. Both of them have time zones. You're not getting out of it. But you get to choose which one time zones are going to affect you more on. So that's what's going on at work. And then on a personal update, this is so random, but I wanted to bring it up. I have figured out where all the lost Amazon packages go. There's this, <laughs> there's this company in Pittsburgh that gets all these packages and they put them up on a bidding website. And so you bid on these packages. You can, you know, get amazing deals or you can be a crazy person and bid on a pallet and you have no idea what's in it. Oh, but, boy. uh, I went to the warehouse today to pick out my stuff and you literally go into the warehouse and they give you a couple pointers and they're like, go find your stuff. And then you have to check out with the stuff that you've already paid for. It was absolutely wild. Oh, like, so it's like a scavenger hunt clever. too. <laughs> I think I've yeah. seen YouTube videos of people doing this. It's so crazy. So I show up and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And the guy's like, oh, well, well how many items are you picking up? I was like, oh, just two. And he's like, two. <laughs> he's like, amateur. He's like, I'm picking up 200. Oh my. It's like really amazing to me, but I will say like the website is absolute junk and I'm going to have to double check that it's not written in Ruby on Rails because that would hurt my heart. <laughs> but uh, it, it's just kind of amazing what you can spin up and get going because this was probably a very archaic pr process before. And now they have this whole bidding website and like, I don't know, it's just very cool and just nothing. I had never realized that that was out there. So huh. now I'm obsessed. That's interesting. I might, yeah. I might have to find that thing, although that... it seems to be spreading. So I'll, I'll definitely send you the link. I, yeah. I won't post it here. It seems kind of shady, but I, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll give it to you, Chris. Okay, cool. Uh, all right. So let's get into the meat of tonight, the main event. Um, the first thing I, I want to kind of do for the viewers is to kind of have a definition from each of you, kind of a short definition of what, what is it, what does engineering manager mean, and what does product manager mean. Um, so I, I guess let's hear from you first, Brittany. Yeah. So I agree with you, Chris. I think there can be so many different ways to define engineering manager, but to me, I feel like the engineering manager has three duties. The first is to make sure to prioritize and have the right person right, working on the right thing, setting deadlines, getting that estimate and architecture in place, making sure design and product are in place to me, you know, engineering is one of the most expensive resources that you have. And so my job is to minimize any sort of wasted time there. So the second one is also being that person who's cross-functional. And so you're the one who's probably communicating with the different teams, you know, around deadlines, customers affected, you know, release schedule, all those kinds of things. And then also part of that cross-functional part is, Hey, you know, that feature that you wrote, it's doing really well and it made us a ton of money. Should probably tell the engineers. Like I want <laughs> to complete that feedback cycle. Right. Yeah, for sure. And then the last one is mentorship. So I'm doing one-on-ones with all of these engineers. And it, it's wild to me that I mentor and am the manager of people that are crazy talented. Like they're able to write code in a way that I never will be able to write code. And so it's been definitely an imposter syndrome thing for me, Yeah. but it's my job to make sure that these very talented engineers know which track that they're on, whether or not they're going the manager track or they're going that IC track, just making sure that they feel supported and give them immediate feedback when they need to adjust, you know, how things are going. What is an IC track? Yeah. So the individual contributor track. Okay. And that's a good question, Creston, because I think for so long, companies didn't have this. We ended up with so many developers who were managers because they thought it was the only way to grow. And so I want to be so clear to my engineers that like, if you love to code and you want to code the rest of your life, it can be extremely lucrative and you can have a really fulfilling career. 
Yeah, we have that at shift four too. You can do a management track or an IC track. Um, that it's seems also to... okay to change your mind because yeah. I've seen yeah. developers go down one track and they're like, uh-uh, I, I need the switch. Yeah. So, uh, Josh, product manager, what, what would you define that as? Yeah, definitely. I think I'm kind of at the next of a lot of things. I'm trying to find that balance uh, between the business needs, customer needs, um, and then like what engineering can practically do in like a period of time that delivers some value. Um, so I'm always trying to find like a little bit, like the largest and also smallest increment of value we, we can deliver at a, at a certain time. Um, at Texas specifically also kind of do a lot of other things. We work with uh, SMS providers to get messages delivered. Um, that's almost another stakeholder to take into account because they have requirements around like, like regulations and spamming and all sorts of stuff. So taking all that into account, um, and then yeah, like making sure the product is good at the end of the day for the users, um, that the features work the way they want it to. Um, yeah, I think that's how I would define the role I do right now. Um, okay, cool. So, so really, kind of, Brittany, you're a bit closer to the engineers. And Josh, you're a bit closer to the customers, but there's a lot of overlap between there. Um, and especially those two, what kind of what I'm hearing is that you guys end up having to work a lot together to, in the middle of that to make sure things are functional for the, the other sides of your respective priorities. Yeah, I would agree to that, Chris. And, you know, you say that Josh is close to the customer. He's close to everybody. And that kind of lends well into like where, how Josh came into this role, because it's, it's an interesting one. And it kind of explains like how he is able to communicate with everybody so well. Yeah. And I want to hear this because I know it's the, the, the communication skills in a product manager um, position are, are tricky. So how did you get to this? Yeah, so I started at Texas as a sales person. Uh, so it was a BDR, SDR, and then moved into being a, a small business account executive uh, somewhere about two years into being in sales. Like it was my, one of my first jobs out of college, I looked at my life and was like, I'm not happy doing this. It wasn't the company, it was the role. And I was like, I want to do something else. Like I'm a builder, I like to make things and like work with my hands and that sort of thing. Like, so, well, I didn't know what it was. I knew I liked the company and the culture and the product. So I was able to transition to our support team. Um, in the support team, the customer success, like we did everything from like account provisioning and creation to like troubleshooting, finding bugs, um, and then reporting up engineering. Uh, I grew into a tier three support engineer role and actually reported to Brittany um, on the engineering team. And that was a lot more like a kind of a, a filter between engineering and the customers and the support team and that's like the sales team as well. So it was kind of the start of this. Um, and from there, so I was like, you know, recreating bugs, making sure they actually were like, started to get really familiar with our API um, and was could answer any question about our API and how to use it and um, got comfortable with that. And then almost a year ago now, I applied for a, a product manager role that was open at Texas, um, got the role and have been kind of doing that ever since. Um, there's definitely a bit of a ramp up period there where I was like, it's an interesting position to be between like, you know, the support engineers is like, this is how the app works and it's broken or it's not. And then getting to go to this other side of the position and being like, this is how it should work. And like, let's do it this way. Right. So it's, you, you're adept at kind of translating between English and programmeries. Yeah, and and getting like, it's, it's funny because you want to be specific without saying like what exactly to do. It's like defining the problem and being like, it's not working this way and this is why. This is like the context of what the customers are trying to do. And that's why the app behaving this way doesn't work because like you hit this one spot and I can't, manage this many conversations or something like that. Like it's, it's, yeah, translating it from customer needs and they don't really know what they want or need. They're just saying it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And being able to put yourself in their shoes and be like, 
this is what you want to do, right? And they say, oh yeah, that is. And then communicate that, yeah, translate it to engineering. So you kind of take the why from the customer, turn that into a what, hand that to engineering and say, you tell me how. Right, without trying to, yeah, exactly. So I'm taking the, and getting to the root of it too, because like there's a common request, I'm trying to think of like an example, but you know, it's like, we want this, we want this. And I'm like, but what problem are you trying to solve there? Um, and finding that and being like, well, would this work for you as well? Because like to do that thing, engineering is telling me it would be three month project. We can do this other thing and like, get you a solution that works. It's like your your problem is you don't want to text people that you've texted in the last week. Like there's something else we can do here besides like redoing the way we do the whole app. Right. Yeah. I think a good example would be like, people aren't replying to me. People aren't replying to me. And so the request might come into product as let me text more people at once. And meanwhile, that's not the actual, like that's not the actual solve. Like it's how yeah. can we help them send better messages? Or it's like, oh, you're texting landlines, and that's why nobody's replying to you. Yeah, well, yeah, that that's not good. <laughs> now, one thing that we really missed Josh for that you didn't touch on, Josh, is when Josh was in tier three support, he was also our QA, and he's one of the best QA I've ever worked with. And so while I'm so glad Josh is a PM now, um, we still we have not hit that bar again on QA. Just Josh is really, I don't know, he's really stringent and picky. Um, and he's really good about recreating a flow that a customer would do. And I think it's, it's really hard to teach people that because he was so well-versed in what the customers were doing because he spent so much time in customer support and sales doing demos. It's there, there's nobody at the company, literally nobody at the company, literally the person who started the application that knows the application better than Josh, which is really hard to find. So he's the top tier toy breaker. Oh yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was fun for me too, because like it, you get kind of obsessive and you go in and you do it over and over again. Yeah. So thank you. And I just had fun doing it. So yeah. that's awesome. So I, I think for one of the things that I wanted to ask you guys about, because I think this is kind of important for some of the junior engineers that watch the show, uh, junior devs who are trying to figure out, well, where is my career going to go? Um, and what, what kind of things should I be concentrating on? So what are the differences in skill sets that you two have that kind of makes you the, 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 uh, engineering manager and you, the product manager, where, where do the skill sets diverge there? You think? I mean, I talked about how I'm rusty at coding, but like, technically I can write code. I can write backend code. Um, I do manage the front end team. So I am managing a set of developers where I don't understand the code that they're writing, but I understand enough of their workflow and I understand like their commit messages and whatnot. And I understand their tooling because, you know, we're very heavy into GitHub that I'm able to manage them um, effectively. But, you know, I've been a product manager in the past. And so I, I have an opinion on why I can't be product now, but I'll let go. I'll let Josh go next. Yeah, so I think it's different. Obviously, yeah, I can't write code. I I can read it with a low level of confidence, you know, like all, like Brittany's used to this of, like, I'll go look at something, look at an API for like something we want to integrate with. And I'll be like, I think this is how we would do it, or this is what we want to do, or this is possible. Um, so that's like the, the extent of my ability to interact with code. Um, but then it's a lot more of the like, understanding the customer, putting yourself in the customer's shoes, um, taking the business stuff into account. Like I'll think of stuff and be like, that just seems really expensive or like, I, I wouldn't buy that. Or like, that's not compelling. Like I'm, I have no experience in marketing, but I'm like, we can't sell this. Like there's, there's nothing compelling about this feature. Like, why would we do that? So I go very broad and I kind of check in with different departments. I'm like, does this make sense? Like, does, does my thinking line up here a lot of times they say no it's actually this way and then i can take that back into my like i'm not gonna call it calculation but whatever's going on between my ears and trying to write and trying to write down <laughs> um and then yeah come back to engineering with a different thing than we thought we even would have ever done 
Yeah, I think I struggle with the fact that my first answer to everything is no. And Josh's first answer is let me look into it. You know, there, there's definitely a difference there because I am so defensive about the engineering, the engineer's time that sometimes I struggle with the enthusiasm of like a really great product idea and being like, this is an amazing idea. Like this is going to be making such a huge difference. Like what can we clean off the deck in order to make this happen? So like, I kind of rely on Josh to bring that like enthusiasm from the go-to-market team over at, to engineering. And I, I think that's kind of an important point too. And that, that seems to be a common thread through most of these type of team environments where you've got a product manager side and you've got an engineering side. The engineering manager tends to be very um, protective of the engineering time uh, and the product manager tends to be very protective of the customer's wants. And sometimes that can cause some conflict. And that's kind of where I, I think where the meat of this show happens is that's where the differences in syntax and priorities of what you guys do can sometimes not align correctly. So how, how do you work that? stuff. Can you think of times when I mean, you don't have to give very specific examples, but you know, times where you haven't been able to see eye to eye and how do you work that? Well, that's a good question. Let's uh, break some NDAs that we haven't signed, Josh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's definitely been circumstances where, so this is something that we've been struggling with this week um, that I've had to rely on Josh to help me with. And that's, you know, I have the majority of the developers working on features, like in an ideal world, that's what's happening, right? You have your engineers allocated, they're working on roadmap items, you're good. And then you have a couple noisy customers that are important to you, you know, raise, raise the alarm that they need to have this, like to them, the bug that they see means that the app is unusable to them. So like, what do you do as the engineering manager in terms of, do you bargain with product to say, hey, um, you know, I wanna put this roadmap item down. You tell me, like, is this customer more important than this roadmap item? And so that's something that I, I haven't figured out and I'm still trying to work on. Yeah, and I'm in the same boat. I haven't figured out either because like, I'm selfish of like what I want to see built, but then like, I also just have to, um take into account like oh no like they, they pay us a lot of money every month like this is like a, this this is a big problem to them and then it's a big problem to us um like we have a company value about like you know customer centric and like you have to go back and remember that and i think that's a that's the part where it is the product manager is closer to the customer and that need and trying to be sympathetic there and have that understanding um, but then, yeah, like also being selfish of being like, no, we need this feature done. Like, yeah. There is circumstances where I do try to scam Josh. I want to be super <laughs> clear about that. I definitely try to scam Josh. This is my number one scam. Uh, so we will kick off a project. We'll go over all the requirements. We'll generate the stories. So our developers write their own stories. So we'll come up with the story titles. They write their own stories, which is, I think, kind of unique for uh, for that the developers write their own stories versus product having to sit there and meticulously write them all out. And then I will miss a story. And then I'll tell Josh, oh, we'll do that in a later phase. And then he and I will argue whether or not that's going to happen or not. So... <laughs> I think the, the struggle for us is I'm always trying to get that MVP lower and lower. And I also struggle with the fact I'm not a big bang person. I don't like to like create this like massive feature and then just release it all once. But I get the marketing does like they want the press release. They want the big shout. But to me, I want to slowly trickle my stuff out. I want to see if I'm getting any errors logged, you know, like, so I struggle a little bit because I feel like product agrees with me, but they also have the stakeholders of sales, marketing, customer support that wants to see it go out all at once with it, like very well documented and polished. But me, I just kind of want to get it out there just to, you know, slowly trickle it out and see how it does. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you have early like 
early access, I don't know, early access to feature customers or any kind of program like that, that you could leverage certain customers that have raised their hand to say, Hey, I want to see new features. And that way you could do your testing that way within through like feature flags or something. Do you have any kind of, and then go for the big bang when they've hit it at least somewhat, do you have any kind of program like that? We have in the past for certain features, I think we're coming back around to having something like that. Um, yeah, Brittany, do you have any other? Yeah, so we we had a beta council. By the way, my one light bulb keeps going in and out, so it knows that <laughs> Halloween's coming. It's very spooky. I Thank God you go told me that, because I thought I was just having <laughs> eye problems. So <laughs> I was like, God, I got to go to the eye doctor tomorrow. Oh, crap. <laughs> Um, so we, we've had like beta councils in the past. I think the struggle for us is that the people that we would want to put on a beta council tend to be people who buy the software, but they don't use the software. And so what we need is like those power users to your point, Creston, like people that are really like very, like their entire workflow is using our software. Like those are the people we want to get to, but like those people are hard to reach sometimes. And so I think it's just, I think having that council is great. It's just getting the right people on it and getting them to actually try the, the new feature. And like, you know, there, there's a little bit of weirdness too. Like if you reach out to your beta council and you're like, feature flag this new feature and they're like, I don't want to try it. And you're like, why did I build this? You're like, <laughs> uh-oh. But then you release it to the general customer base and it's well-loved. Yeah. So it's just like, sometimes it's like rolling the dice. Well, is there a way to... Well, presumably some of these features came from a request from customers with these potentially, I mean, if it's a new customer, you can't really do this, but if they're an existing customer who's looking for a feature, I mean, you could grant them access to it. So you just asked a really insightful question. Uh, you assume that most of our product features come from our customers. Yeah. They really don't. Would, would you agree, Josh? Like, I feel like we're always trying to push to, to do things that they haven't considered. And then once we put it out there, they're like, oh, how have I gone on without this? But I'm curious if you would agree with that. Yeah, there's definitely some educating the customer aspect there. Like some of it is stuff they just don't know is possible, like, um, like larger campaigns and stuff or like, one customer will come and ask for it and push it and we'll all be like, oh, this, it'll be this weird like beta testing thing where we're working with a single customer to figure it out, um, like large, sending larger campaigns. And then we've rolled that out across the platform and it's become really successful. So I think we are pushing the customers in a lot of ways, not to say we're not responsive to like their needs and wanting certain things. Their, their requests are usually more incremental. They're like, we want to... Mm-hmm we want the Chrome extension to work with this page or we want to have this feature in the Chrome extension as well, that sort of thing. Um, but I think going back to like the original question, like a beta council is like, oh, we're getting better at getting insights into our platform and how it's being used and finding those power users. Cause like, we know the ones that complain a lot. <laughs> Cause like yeah. they complain, which is great. Like they tell us a lot. And like, it's not like complaining, complaining. It's like a, Hey, this is working again. Like, which is great, but we want to find those like really power user, power users that we can go to and say, hey, we notice you use this a lot um, beyond just sending a lot of messages because like, that's, that's cool, you send a lot of messages. Um, but coming back around full circle is like, when we go ask our like to go to market team is like, who can we talk to? Who should we talk to that'd be good to talk to or that like we have a good relationship with? It's people that they want to, you know, have more rapport with, not necessarily people that are like, the best for us to talk to in terms of like finding new features and uh, making the product better, important customers and everything and make them happy, but not necessarily those power, power users. Cool. Okay. So I had asked a little earlier about where your kind of your um, skill sets kind of diverged, but now I'm kind of interested where, where do your skill sets align and overlap that help you work together oh that's so easy it's sarcasm no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> there, 
very few people as sarcastic as Josh and I, <laughs> but I mean, in some ways that, that that's part of it, you know, like commiserating over, you know, maybe a not great deploy or commiserating over, you know, some messy release notes or something like that. So there, there is com- some camaraderie. We, we consider engineering and product like one team. And so Josh is technical enough that we can explain a problem to him. And it's, it's nice because I've worked with a lot of product managers in the past that aren't technical at all. And and Josh is able to understand. And Josh is really good about making quick decisions. I cannot, I I hate sitting in decision-making hell. So like, sometimes I just need to be unblocked and Josh is really good at that. And it feels good, you know? And so we have someone who's in that tier three position and really between the three of us, we can move quite quickly. That's excellent. Um, so how do you guys, kind, I'm curious on your teams, how much time do you spend actually working together and collaborating as opposed to, you know, a lot of product manager engineering teams kind of, here's the five minute handoff meeting, I'm transferring the knowledge to you, go. I would say it's a lot, not necessarily on, um, not necessarily on like calls. We have kickoff calls, we go over it, hand it off, but then um, we use a shortcut for our, our project management and I get like tagged and things all day, um, commenting back and forth on them. Like it is very much an asynchronous, but also kind of the same time. So it's usually been like five minutes to an hour. Um, if I don't have a ton of meetings like back to back, but you know, like it is very much collaborative. And it's like, Hey, we noticed this, so like, you know, it's like a, a million questions come up when you're work when you're building something and like, it's, it feels good to collaborate and like, we're flexible enough to like, Hey, let's jump on a quick call and talk about this. So like, yeah, I think that's the. Yeah. A common one is like an engineer will start to dig into something. And we all agree here. Like it is very easy to look at something and say, this is going to be really hard. And then you find out it's really easy. And like, that's a big win, but also the flip side happens, doesn't it? Like where you're like, this bug looks like it's going to be pretty incredibly easy to solve. And then you get into there and you're like, Oh, I'm 20 commits in and this is bad. Like (laughs) this this is framework level bad. And so that's where we end up collaborating with Josh being like, how, how important it is, is this like, can we cut this from the requirements? That's where he's really, uh, you know, key. I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I'm in Eastern Josh is in Portland, which is like in some ways consider Pittsburgh's like sister city, which I love. So he's Pacific time zone. And so what often happens to me is I will log in in the morning and at 9am I'll get a message from Josh and I will have a brief moment of being like, Josh, what the hell? Why are you up this early? And I realized he's scheduled a Slack message for me. So that way I, during my quiet time, can be effective and get him what he needs. Yeah. And it like really kind of helps that relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think that's I think it's important to be respectful of each other's time and and do things like that. I that's a really cool idea, Josh. Um so I, just sorry, okay. just so I understand. So like when a particular engineer, when they talk about their 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 boss, they're probably talking about you, Brittany. Is that correct? Yes. All the engineers currently report to me. I don't think that will be indefinite. We're currently hiring two engineers. We're hiring for a senior backend engineer. <laughs> <laughs> There's my shameless plug. You get to hire a junior backend engineer to mentor. But anywho, so that would bring me up to 15, which is probably... I, well, I that's the breaking to, point. <laughs> yeah, that's the breaking point, right? Like my load balancer is just, it, it's its going to fall over. So, um, yeah, But the communication that Josh yeah. was talking about, that I mean, presumably developers speak to you directly and don't have to all, like all communication doesn't get right. Exactly. That's a really good point though, Creston, because you have to trust the person. You have to, like we talk about, you know, wasting engineering resources you know, we have to trust the, the person that they're reaching out to is going to give them an accurate answer. And so the question is, you know, how do you scale me? How do you scale Josh? We're, we're growing out the product team. And Josh has been at Texas. How long now, Josh? Has it been five years? Uh, over four. I don't know. Over four. Five, so close yeah. to five. We're, we're going to prematurely celebrate five. 
uh, because that that's my French vanilla fantasy, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, as we bring on more product managers who are not as knowledgeable about the product, how do we get the developers to trust them? Because they're, they're going to be wrong sometimes, right? Or they're just going to have a different opinion than Josh. And so how do you deal with that? Yeah. And I, it, it it's tough because I've like right now, my current position, I'm sitting on the engineering side, right? And I have a product manager that I, that I interface with. And we actually have several product managers because we have a lot of different product areas. Uh, it's one suite of products, but there's a product manager for each little bit because uh, it's such a large company. But um, one of the things that I often find myself doing, and, and this is even not at just at this job, but even when I was in the small business world and, and didn't have as much hierarchy going on, is that on the engineering side, when product would come to me with, hey, they're complaining about this or they want to do this or we want to make this change. A lot of times what I really needed to do is go back to product and say, why? Why are you doing this? Because what I would find is product would identify, hey, we should make this change in the product because this will solve the problem. And engineering says, but if you tell me why you're doing that, I may actually have a better solution because I know the back end of it a lot, a lot better. Uh, does that kind of stuff happen with you guys? Absolutely. I think one of the, like, I think trust, I'm glad that we're came up because one of the things I think I forgot to say earlier is like building that trust between all the different stakeholders. Because like when you tell the go-to-market team later, they need to trust you're going to do it. But I think that does absolutely happen. Um, and I always try to give a lot of context, like why I made a decision. I say, yes, we need to do this because this is the workflow, this is why. And I do that A, to give the, like, help the engineers like trust that like there's a reason behind this. But then also there's been plenty of times where I say this is why and this is a situation and a different solutions come out or the suggestion of like, oh, could we do this here and this over there and get the same result? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's actually a great idea. Um, again, trying to avoid the defining the solution and just like define the problem and, and work together to find the solution. Cool. Uh, and, oh, Hey, Andrew, welcome to the show. Say hi, Andrew. Hi. Uh, hi Andrew. Hey, Andrew. So, um, he says, Brittany is the boss. I believe you. I believe you. Yes, those 13 engineers. <laughs> <laughs> she is the boss of Twitter, man. <laughs> So, um, so are there, where do you find the, the difficulties in being able to synergize, uh, between your, your teams? Don't use that word. Sorry. <laughs> Why? What a reaction. I'm just joking. It's like corporate speak. Oh yeah. Talk to corporate. Yeah. Um, so. But but do you guys ever find things that are that are hard to synergize on that, that there's just you just can't make the connection and you have to figure out a way to do something else? Yeah, so you're talking about a problem where Josh and I like just basically our our part departments aren't able to align on something or yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, we're starting to go down that path where we're like, how much of the, the, the roadmap do we save for tech debt? You know, tech debt is something that you always need to think about and that you want to yep. pay off. Right. So far, product's been amenable to that just because we have deadlines, like this thing's going to get deprecated. If you don't let us work on it, then, you know, the app's going to go offline and nobody wants that. Right. But, um, yeah, for the most part, we, we tend to agree, but we're not in a situation yet where the engineers are coming up with their own features and saying, like, this is something that I want to work on, but I'm starting to see that boil up more. And so having their work be deprioritized, like their ideas be deprioritized over what product is saying would be an interesting 
situation, but for the most part, we're, we're pretty good. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to start coming up. It's like, we're a startup and we've had so many things to work on, like not saying that the app's awful, but you know, there's so many improvements you could make and they would all be great. And it's now as we start to focus on certain things more, it starts to become more of like a push pull. It's like notifications is one thing that like really needs to be redone. Um, and that takes a lot of product effort, a lot of engineering effort. Um, and like, I agree with that and see that, but then when it comes down to the roadmap and you're like, all right, what are we going to build next? It's, it doesn't sell any software notifications. Like our, our notifications are good enough. And like, I would love them to be better, but. You need like, a brochure story. Yeah. And, yeah. And meanwhile, like, I think it's taking up minor things. Notifications take up more and more resources on the back end. So eventually something needs to be done. And I think that's like, like an example of like the conflict is like, can that wait? Yeah. So I had an interesting conversation today because we just onboarded our senior UX designer. And so UX is considered part of our product team. I'm curious how you all usually do that. I, this is new for me to actually have like dedicated UX designers. It's, it's nice. Like it's <laughs> certainly nice when you're managing front end developers to have UX. Um, but you know, she said to me, you know, we had this conversation about how the two of us were going to work together. And she said to me, like, if I ever come to you and want to go outside of material UI, which is the component library that we use for react, she's like, if I want to do something custom, like, are you going to let me do that? And I was like, are you going to justify it? And she's like, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, you're going to need to justify it in order for us to agree to like a custom component. Is it because it's sexy? Is it because you wanted to work on the design? Is it because you think it'll provide a better user experience? And so I actually, because she's brand new coming into an app, I feel like UX is very similar with marketing. You tend to come into a new company and you're like, I want to redo everything like <laughs> because you want it to be yours. You, you know, you yeah. want your brand on it. Right. And so we don't have that struggle with product, but I could definitely see that struggle coming from UX. Yeah. It's yeah. And that's a, that's a tough nut to crack. And engineers have that a lot too, especially the, the kind of project management type engineers. Um, they get into that, Kind of, I, I, you know, I want to use my tools that I was using last time and bring them over here, you know, just replace all your crappy tools because they're not as good as my tools. So, oh, I'll tell you what, I do have some engineers that I onboarded this year. They come in and they open pull requests and they're like, I worked at this big rails company and uh, we had these tools that made things easier. I'm just going to, I'm just going to copy them in here. And I'm like, cool, free, smart, like you go ahead and commit your tools in, but you're right though. We do have issues where, you know, new people come in and they want to bring their entire expensive tool set in. Right. And you're like, it, it sucks to be that person being like, that's not what we do here. Yeah. You and know? you know, yeah. And I'm all for, Hey, bring your, your new blood, your new thoughts, your new ideas, you know, help us get better. You're, you're here because you're smart. Let's utilize that. But, but balancing that between, yeah, but that, yeah, but, you know, we're not going to throw out our, all of our tools just because you think this one is better, unless you have some serious justification for it. Um, do you run into that much on the product side, Josh? Oh, like tools and wanting to replace things or? Well, like, like you bringing new folks on board and, and them saying, we should do it this way. We want to, I want to get rid of what you're doing and do it this way. Not really. So we, we have someone new starting soon. Um, I'm currently the only product manager. Um, so we haven't onboarded anybody new, so I guess we'll find out soon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I think, I think we've had a lot of improvement recently. Brittany, do you have any other perspective? What about, what about like the internal names for applications? I thought that was like a funny thing. Like we have those internal names for applications that we don't want to be customer facing and kind of had a little bit of scuffle about whether or not we should be doing that anymore, right? Yeah. Um, and I guess that's where I had a kind of, you know, 
be empathetic to an outsider coming in is like thinking like, okay, I'm familiar with this because I've been here for four years and I, I watched it grow. Um, but there's also certain situations where like those names are useful in the sense that like they are funny names, but they do differentiate between different pieces of the, or different basically apps that work together to create the experience. So um, we've run into that, but I guess I see that more of just like human nature than like an issue of like process or anything that's insurmountable. Um, I agree. Like yeah. Chris and Creston, do you have internal names or do you have like fun <laughs> nicknames for applications, you know, inside? Because to me, in some ways, like that brings culture you know, because there's always a, a reason that you named it a certain way. And so, it, you know, I'm always looking for ways to make people feel included and in the know, because I, that leads to retention, doesn't it? Well, let me, let me tell you a little bit about a cautionary tale from that. Uh, when I started at this company, um, I actually ended up having to go into Figma and draw myself a diagram to put all the various names that matched in the different boxes because the customer called it this thing, product called it this thing, engineering called it this thing, and they're all internal things, and the real name of the product is this. And I was like, I don't know what the hell is going on here. We get on meetings, and you guys are just slinging names around, and I don't know what you're talking about. So I actually had to make a diagram and put it on the wall in front of me so I could follow along you know, in conversations. So while, while there is, I agree with you, Brittany, that there's this cultural um, kind of tribe building thing with these internal inside baseball terms and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that can be useful, but you, you got to be a little careful with it because it makes onboarding a lot more difficult. <laughs> That's true. And you're talking to the person who doesn't have to talk to customers. Now, Josh does. And so he has to remember to switch between the two because you know, that's just like translating from French to English rapidly back and forth. And so I like it because it almost like provides a shorthand because there are many times that Josh and I literally just talk in shorthand there. Are, you know, we are the company of acronyms. I, I imagine every company says this, but yeah. we have so many acronyms that like, if you don't know what we're talking about, or you don't know the, the short code to all what we're doing, it can be very confusing. And honestly, sometimes you can get so much weight out of just an emoji reaction between the two of us. Just like, I'll be like, Josh, da, 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 da. And he'll be like, thumbs up. And I'm like, cool. That's, that's all I needed. Bye. Like, it, yep. it's important to have that. My organization, I mean, have employees, but my organization is not big enough to have that type of culture or have that thing built in. But when I go to the customers of my app, they're slinging the acronyms all around. Or if I'm going on a consulting gig or like one of my biggest customers, there's, oh, the whiz bang fidoo and the Fibby hibbits <laughs> and whatever else. And I, at times I just got to, okay, okay, what is this thing you're talking about? <laughs> so I think it's the nature of organizations to kind of come up with these naming abbreviations and, you know, shorthands. So, yeah. I think we should limit our shorthands to PEBCAC and ID10T, and then we're we're done. And anybody in the comments who can tell me what those mean? Okay, I'll spoil it for you. PEBCAC, problem exists between chair and keyboard. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and ID10T, just write that ID10T down on a piece of paper. You'll figure that one out. Love it. Um, but... Yeah, it, you know, so the the internal stuff is important, and I mean, you you want to have kind of this your own culture, your your tribe building, um, because that helps build the camaraderie and the the interfacing with people. But um, you also want to be careful about making it the barrier to entry into your culture so high that people can't get in there. Um, and I I think that's that's important even cross team too because i know that you know for for um for us you know with my product team there's sometimes where they'll have their own jargon and engineering has their jargon and we'll get in a meeting and we'll be like 
wait, which thing are you talking about again? And yeah, so I think that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. So I think well, that's a fair problem, right? If you're building a new thing, it's like we're, we're teams that build things and we wouldn't have jobs if it was very easy. And like, that's why you have 10 different names for something like we're, we're working on a feature now. And, you know, we did a broad benchmarking and like that's why I've always been features or names for this one thing that does the same thing. And that's exactly how it happens. And like, I think recognizing that, but then also like finding a process of like, how we go back and define that before we start. So we've had that happen to engineer build something and this name is in the code and we get to marketing and marketing's like, no, 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 this works with SEO a lot better. And we're like, okay, cool. But like, <laughs> yeah. now the engineers need to know that when you say widget A isn't working, it actually means like, go look at whatever part of the code that's called, you know, this. Brandon looks very frustrated right now. I am right so now. triggered right now because this absolutely <laughs> happens. And it's because I usually am one of the first people to look at bugs. And so like immediately I'm going to the code and trying to figure out what's going on. And Josh is totally correct that I have to, you know, translate like what the marketing term ends up being. And we all know engineers don't like to name things. And so I often try to pawn it off on Josh. And so Josh and I will agree on it. And he's totally right that when we get to that actual release, they'll be like, oh, it's time to rename. And I'm never gonna put in the work with engineering to rename all those classes. Like that is far too many RSpec tests. Like just not gonna do it. I always say I'm gonna do it later. Yeah. Do <laughs> not I? gonna happen. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got so, there were certain visible portions of my product and I had my own internal names that I come up with them for everything. And then the customer said, well, we really wanted to say this. We really wanted to say this. And another one said this. I was like, all right, customization all around. You just <laughs> internally, it's called this. And you can change this little box to change it, whatever you want it to be. Oh, that's Everyone's so been much happier. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So basically you gave them a, a form object that they're able to update that. And it just translates everywhere, but you're able to keep your code to be the same. Yeah, yeah. Love it. So it's do. like, and it also appear, appeals to different use cases because if you're dealing with uh, parents, it can say parents, or if it's student, because I come from colleges and universities serving them, or it's, if it's for student, it's a student type of project, you could name it pro students instead of, you know, calling it, I don't know, guests or attendees or whatever it was. So we had an interesting situation where our marketing team, you know, owns the, the customer facing website, you know, the marketing website, which I think is ideal. You don't want engineering owning that. Like I am a big yeah, fan. No. <laughs> don't ever want to write a CMS ever again. No, thank you. Nope. Not today, Satan. But uh, they did a completely different rebrand to the marketing website. And I was like, it looks great. You're not expecting us to bring that into the product, right? And they're like, no, no, next quarter. We would like you to bring in the marketing adjustments. It's just like, like I should damn have it. I knew that was coming. <laughs> you know what? My front end developer knew it was coming. I was in denial, but he knew it was coming. Now, wait, how are they merging? What are they going to be merging? Or the, what yeah, is the so desire? The marketing to website has like new uh, fonts and colors and logos. So they want to apply that to the price. Right. That type of. Face yeah. lift to the profits. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not horrible. It's not horrible, but to me, it's unplanned work. So just like just factoring it in. There. Well, yeah. they planned it. I, I so remember. Yeah, should, they <laughs> they should, <laughs> there should be time that they have accounted and say, all right. I remember as an engineer walking down the hallway past the marketing office, and if their door was closed, I always got a sinking feeling in the bottom of my stomach going, oh, shit, next week there's going to be some hell to pay. I'm going to have all kinds of front-end work to do. And it's not going to be pretty. Oh, so. so have you all been in the situation where you've had to be like the sales engineer where like there are times like not, not often, like this used to happen more in the past, but like Josh and I would get called onto a call where they were trying to convince somebody to buy the software. Like, have you ever been in that position as a well, developer? I am the salesperson. So the there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm the guy who does the demo. So there you go. He better have been in that position or he doesn't have a company anymore. So Creston, do you do a live demo for everybody who wants to buy the software or are you sure. at like the, yeah. okay. So you won't record it and just hand it off. 
I have recorded it. I offer it for, you know, sign here, and then you can take a look at the pre-recorded demo. But people want to talk to someone live mm. once they're serious about buying the product. So I'm like, their use case is so unique and their own, yet also... And it's, it's just there. a level of additional trust. Hey, here's yeah. the person I've been working with. I can see their face. I can talk to them. I can ask all of our questions, you know, and the meetings I have are never less than five people because colleges and universities, oh, it's yeah. a, lot a lot of, of committees and getting Clients. together. Right. So there's a lot of getting together and uh, planning. All right. Is this solution going to work for, for us or not? So, you know, so the dollar amount is a little bit higher than your typical, you know, one user SaaS product. So it, it's a justified to be able to do, you know, some of that so do you have any demo hacks like anything that you've like picked up along the way you're like i i can't do i'm probably not this. that affected i wouldn't ask, ask me. <laughs> i only say because josh is the best demo in the land and so just putting it out there josh gives a really mean demo so much so that we used to have every new employee who onboarded get a demo from josh and then we finally got around to recording it but the annoying thing is engineering keeps adding features that product wants. And so that demo keeps changing. So bloody engineers. I know. <sighs> My goodness. Software, it's annoying. Mm. Evolving things. How dare they? Um, so, but I don't know if Chris has ever been involved in. Yeah, I actually used to. Well, I mean, when I was CTO, I did a stuff. lot of talking to clients. Um, I, I did way more of that than any actual technology stuff at that point. Um, but the reason I was there is to be the technical uh, part of the sales team. So I was often on, I, I usually wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing like cold calls or initial conversations, but when they started saying, yeah, we, we want to buy, but we have a lot of questions about how this is going to work. I'd be in on the calls going, okay, well, this is, you know, this is how this is, and this is how this is. Um, and that's essentially what my demos are. When it gets to that point, that's when the live demo happens. Like that's the point at which Chris would be brought in yeah. when he was in his position. See, I can't talk to customers because if I get a ticket, my first instinct is no. But if I talk to the customer, I want to say yes. And so like, sometimes you get like really excitable and like collaborate with a customer. And you're like, yeah, I absolutely want to build that. And you hang up and you're like, what did I just agree to? Right. And like, I didn't even tell product I was going to do this. That's not good. <laughs> like, so well, it's it, hard, you know, you want to be part, you, you want to be, you, you want to end the call happy, you know, or sometimes you just want to end the call and, you know, agreeing to it, you know, ends the call. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, if you sign on the dozen line, these features can be yours. <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and we used to have to be careful with that with with engineers. And, and I just want to throw out there, when I say I was CTO, that's that sounds a lot bigger than it actually is. It wasn't that big of a company, so that's, you know, like an engineer for a regular company. But, um, you know, we, we had to be careful with engineers because almost every time that we got uh, – you know, a, somebody who wasn't used to dealing with sales side stuff, which I had gotten used to dealing with, engineers will agree to almost anything. I can do yes, that. I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Because they want to feel good. They want to feel <laughs> but, confident. Yeah, but they, and, and they probably the can customer. do that. Exactly. That's the thing. They can do it. But, but, but they, they don't understand that the what the customer hears is, I'll have it done next week. Correct. So, and what I hear as engineering manager, I have to maintain what? Like, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and it's just, you know, it's it, it's not that it's a bad thing. I, I actually applaud the enthusiasm. It's just that you got to understand the psychology of customers and that, you know, if you say or allude to something, a lot of times they'll take that as a contracted promise, right? <laughs> we had that say we were doing customer interviews with a new feature we're looking to build. And I don't think they fully realized that the prototype we were showing them wasn't the app. It wasn't done yet. And they were talking about how this would do what their other, the other piece of software is doing and how they could cancel that. And like the way they were talking about it very actively. And I had to be like, take it easy. This is like 
we might build this. We want your input on if like this one or this one or this one is good to do. And they kind of like nod their head and I hope, hope they haven't canceled that other piece of software. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, dealing with, and you know, when engineers start start being exposed mm -hmm. to the the customer side of things, because as you as you progress as an engineer, you eventually will start interfacing with customers to to some degree. Um, it's it's important to pay attention to how your salespeople talk to those customers, and learn the the psychology and the do's and don'ts of what you say, because talking in your engineering team, talking internally, has very different implications than talking to a customer about the same thing. Um, and, you know, there's engineers don't tend to think about, well, what are the costs involved in what I'm saying? Right? Because engineers just like to build stuff. That's a cool idea. I want to go build that and tinker and, you know, play well, with I code. Some of the experience, I think some of the experienced engineers are. Well, sure. But that's what I'm saying. It, you know, once you get to the point of having to deal with the the customers, that's when you start learning that, wait, you know, if I say I can do this, I better be ready to do it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, that, that's a tough thing. Um, My approach while I'm on these calls, when I'm looking at the sales and the engineers, I kind of speak when spoken to, I, I never, like, I never pipe up and I'm like, Oh, we can do that. Or like, you know, it's like, it's, it's, they're going through their demo. They're like, oh, or that very specific question. And it's like, can you do this? Maybe, or obviously depending on the situation, or like, yes, you can do it this way. Or um, yeah, so I think that's kind of an approach I have of being like, not putting my foot in my mouth and signing us up for something that we probably won't do or can't do or won't do soon enough. Yeah. Right. How often do you, and, and this brings up, because this is something I've kind of battled with on on and off of my career is when you're talking to a customer and talking to them about features and stuff, how often do you actually bring in engineers to, to before you start telling the customer and selling to the customer to ask the engineers, okay, can we do this? What's the time frame? What's the impact on your side? Um, how much of that do you do? Yeah, I'm always going back to, I, I never set expectations without, like there's certain little things, like let's say a new strategy for for like finding numbers on a page or something like that. Like I have an idea of how long it takes, but I still set the expectation of like, it'll take us a few days to do it when we have time to do it. Like when like, you know, like that's kind of it. It's like, I'm very careful about that. Because I have made that mistake in the past of being like, yeah, that's not a big deal. <laughs> and then Brittany's like, what? No, he's, he's totally right. I mean, we're in a unique situation at our company where every single customer has an account manager. And so we really kind of rely on them to manage those communications. But, you know, the account managers are far removed from engineering and product. And so it's hard, you know, and I think I mentioned this in the last episode I was on, but every single person in our company is in our engineering ticketing system, which is both wonderful and crazy dangerous. And so they might see a comment where an engineer says, this is going to be easy. I can knock this out. No problem. They might read it as like, we're going to do it tomorrow. <laughs> so it's all about managing those expectations and really being on top of like what's escaping engineering and product and going outwards. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're running up one time, darn it. <laughs> Lots more I want to talk about, but, uh, to kind of close this out, uh, Josh, if you're talking to kind of junior folks out there who are just getting into the, the their tech career and they want to pursue something like a product manager role, what would you say to them? Just get like don't glaze over the product. Like, you know, when I was in sales, maybe that's why I wasn't a salesperson. I got really deep down in the details and I got really good at the product. Um, so I, I guess just like focus on the details of things. Like, um, I, I'm not going to say be a generalist and know everything, but like 
it can't hurt to like learn a little bit more about something. Um, yeah. Okay. And Brittany, if somebody's just getting into their tech career and they want to pursue something like team leadership or engineering management, what would you tell them? Oh, good question. I think you want to start off with project management. So you want to look for opportunities where maybe a project within the company has been abandoned and you can volunteer to take it over. And it doesn't need to be technical. Say like your team had lunch and learns and like they haven't been happening for a long time. Like look for an opportunity to step in and take on some leadership just to, to make sure that that's something that's important to you. And as you advance in your technical career and you want to be a leader, look for mentorship opportunities also outside your company. You know, I'm going to tout um, Andy Kroll's My First Ruby Friend. You know, look for those opportunities where you can help mentor other people in the community because that's going to make you a better leader and find, you know, there are so many spaces that we need leaders. So like raise your hand and say, hey, who needs help? Great, great advice from both of you. Um, so I thank you both very much for being here and taking your time tonight. Uh, this was a great conversation. I had a lot of fun with this. Um, it's, it's something that I'm really interested in and, and it was great to, to be able to talk to both sides at the same time uh, and kind of compare and contrast. I, I, I was really interested in that. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you chat for being here. We hope you did enjoy that tonight. If you did, please, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you mash that like button and click subscribe. Both those things are free. Uh, if you're on Twitch, uh, make sure you click the follow button. That's also free. All of those things make us feel all warm and fuzzy like you love us. So just go ahead and do that. You know, it's free love. Um, we will be back next Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And I forgot before I started this spiel to look at who we've got. Oh, we've got Andrew Atkinson coming in to talk about Rails and Postgres scaling. So that should be lots of fun. Um, but we will, uh, be here then. Hope you guys enjoyed it. You can find our podcasts everywhere that podcasts live. You can follow us on Twitter at Ducky Dev Show, and you can join our newsletter on rubberduckdevshow.com. Until next week, happy programming. Happy programming. Thank you. Happy programming.